BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. A Trump Federalist Society judge has now refused to protect a former assistant Manhattan district attorney from being dragged in front of Jim Jordan's dog and pony dung eating show and subjected to a deposition and to possible testimony. And frankly, the ex-ADA Mark Pomerantz should ignore the Jim Jordan subpoena, ignore his pathetic perversion of the House Judiciary Committee into a criminal enterprise designed solely to exonerate the traitor Donald J. Trump. And if this Federalist Society hack judge Mary K. Weisskissel, who once ruled for Tucker Carlson after he slandered Karen McDougal and said she had extorted money from Trump, if this judge tries to act against Pomerantz in defense of her politically corrupted ruling, the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg should pursue a case against the judge for obstruction of justice and for interference in a criminal investigation and slap her sorry Trump kissing ass in jail. Enough of this Republican shit. For reasons unknown, presumably the remaining quaint notion or desire that through his judicial appointments, Trump has not infected every bench from the Supreme Court to the traffic and parking court with dishonesty and theocratic narcissism. D.A. Bragg and his former deputy Pomerantz did not do what their Trumpian counterparts would have done and have done, which was to ignore Jim Jordan, to tell him to shove his subpoena and to ask his own grand jury to indict Jordan for obstruction. Instead, they sought to enjoin the subpoena and they got this idiot Trump judge Mary K. Weisskissel, whom Trump's army of worms literally found somewhere serving out her meaningless life as a commercial attorney with three years in a Manhattan bankruptcy court. And they saw those magic words, member Federalist Society, and all of a sudden she gets to rule not on deadbeat businessmen who did not pay their insurance claims, but on matters of actual importance like helping Jim Jordan smear the Manhattan district attorney who had the loyalty to this country and the fealty to the law to actually indict and arrest Trump for just one episode in his lifetime of scumbaggery while the rest of the officers of the law have sat on their hands for three years and three months. Jim Jordan 
ignored a congressional subpoena. Nothing happened to him. Merrick Garland and the Justice Department did nothing. Mark Pomerantz and Alvin Bragg should have ignored any action by this tainted political whore and let Jordan see if he could talk Garland into acting on a contempt citation on his behalf and then let Jordan see if he would need to see a hearing specialist after he was deafened by the laughter. This all has to stop. The Republican chump thugs have to be ignored. They have to be boycotted. They have to be stonewalled. They have to be humiliated. They have to be emasculated. They have to be ruined. And they have to be metaphorically buried. They get nothing. They declared war on this country eight years ago, and the Democrats are still playing by rules the Republicans don't even remember ever existed. It is a war. They started it. Stop treating it like a negotiation. Mr. Pomerantz wrote this, quote, judge, unquote, who owes her paycheck to Trump, must appear for the congressional deposition. No one is above the law, unquote. Fine, judge. Let's see how much you understand those six words. No one is above the law. Indict her for obstructing justice, Mr. Bragg. There's politics going on on both sides. Let's be honest about that. Judge Weisskissel had the nerve to say during yesterday's hearing, no, there isn't. There is politics going in on your own brain, judge, and in the addled brain of the creature who owns you, you disgrace. I'm talking about the subpoena. That's what it's in front of me. Not all the political rhetoric that's been flying back and forth. That's all color. It's all theater. The contempt, the nerve, the diseased mind, a political appointee pretending to be a judge, a hack appointed to someday repay Trump's favor to her like a crime land lawyer or doctor. It's not my place under all the case law to tell them, she said of the Judiciary Committee, what and how they ought to conduct their inquiry, unquote. And yet that is exactly what she just did with the DA's office. She ruled it was her place under all the case law to tell them what and how they ought to conduct their inquiry. She is an utter flaming corrupt fraud. Alvin Bragg sued Jim Jordan and described his manipulation and exploitation of the laws of the United States as, quote, a direct threat to federalism and the sovereign interests of the state of New York. Two things Republicans claim to believe in. And of course, they do not, because Republicans believe in nothing. They are, in fact, nihilists. I hope Mr. Bragg can now amend his suit to include this Judge Weiskasil, and correctly charge her and Jordan with using the Constitution of the United States with which to wipe Donald Trump's ass. Enough. The Republicans are not legislators. They are not acting for the United States of America. They are not even acting for their own constituents and whatever version of 18th century America they want to drag us back to. They are simply performance artists and bad ones, mediocrities, punks, morons, bilking the rubes, and sacrificing this nation on the altar of chump. And the time has come to barricade them inside their bubble and leave them there for the rest of their lives. Because this is who Jim Jordan is. And I mentioned this in passing yesterday in the worst persons segment, but it requires a longer explanation. Jim Jordan goes to Manhattan and holds a field hearing with other members of his manure in human form Republicans in which they try to smear Alvin Bragg on Trump's behalf by portraying Alvin Bragg as soft on crime and Manhattan as a hellscape, even though it is 10 times safer by all metrics than the cursed town in Ohio from which Jim Jordan hails. And so Jim Jordan brought in a woman named Jennifer Harrison, who founded a group called Victim Rights NY, and she tells her story and I understand that people get warped when violence touches or claims people near them. I mean, hell, Nancy Grace's fiance was murdered, a horrible act, which she then embellished for 20 years for reasons which remain unclear. Well, this Jennifer Harrison goes on to tell the story of the day her boyfriend was murdered, too, stabbed to death, quote, at a nightclub. And Jordan and the committee members bark on cue like seals 
and they all decry what a nightmare Manhattan has become under Alvin Bragg, and you can't trust anything Alvin Bragg does. And the video of that goes wall to wall on Fox and the New York media eats it up because violence sells papers and increases audiences and drives up clicks. And nobody bothers to Google Jennifer Harrison. And if they had Googled Jennifer Harrison, they would have found three rather unfortunate things about this story and the death of her boyfriend, Kevin Davis. Number one, he was stabbed in the year 2005 which would be 17 years before Alvin Bragg became the DA in Manhattan. Number two, he was stabbed in what newspaper accounts of the time characterized as a go-go bar in a dispute over a woman, and none of those accounts indicate the woman was Jennifer Harrison. And number three, the most relevant part, and see if you can see where the whole Jim Jordan argument falls to the ground. He was stabbed in a bar called Lookers in Elizabeth, New Jersey, Elizabeth, New Jersey, is 50 miles outside of Alvin Bragg's jurisdiction. And what the hell was this woman who was warped enough to politicize and exploit her own boyfriend's murder on behalf of Donald Trump and the Republicans doing in front of a hearing about a place that, for all we know, her boyfriend never even lived in? Congratulations, Jim Jordan, you see-through con man. Your lead example of what a bad job Alvin Bragg is doing in Manhattan was murdered in another city, in another state, an hour plus away by car, 17 years ago. We have to free this country. We must liberate it of the Republican Party at all levels, from Trump to his corrupted judges like this idiot Vicecasil, to Clarence Thomas, to Samuel Alito, who just last night extended the Mephepristone case another two days, presumably to give himself enough time to try to bully another justice or two into supporting a ban on the flimsiest political pretext of the drug the FDA approved more than 20 years ago that has been working without issue ever since. Why else do you think Alito postponed this? And we must liberate this country from Jim Jordan and to his little sidekick, this witch Marjorie Taylor Greene. Because just listen to what she tried to do yesterday. The House rules and federal laws she tried to make up out of whole cloth at a congressional hearing and thank God, Dan Goldman was able to rack her up. How long are you going to let this go on? Congresswoman, let me assure you that we're not letting it go on. We are fighting this. No, I reclaim my time. You're a liar. You are letting this go on and the numbers. So in uh, making a ruling on this, uh, it's pretty clear that the rules state you can't impugn someone's uh, character. Uh, identifying or calling someone a liar is unacceptable in this committee. And I make the ruling that we strike those words. My understanding is if words are taken down, that means that the, the member can no longer speak in whatever the proceeding is that those words were said. I... Personal inquiry, point of personal inquiry. That's, there's no, no such thing. When we strike, uh, it does terminate the time of the individual who is speaking. So uh, the gentlelady is no longer recognized. Uh, the chair now recognizes Mr. Ivey, I believe. Uh, can I make a point of inquiry, Mr. Chairman? You can. So the, the ruling was that because she used the word liar, um, that was taken down, which I agree with. Yes. But, but accusing... A statement of fact is very similar to the posters that uh, Mr. There's uh, no statement of fact. There's no statement of fact. There's no, there's there's no, no factual fact. basis for the statement. We're not here to debate this, okay? They all have to go. When they can be subpoenaed, like Clarence Thomas, and humiliated, they must be subpoenaed and humiliated. When they can be ignored, like this Jim Jordan, they must be ignored. When they can be indicted for obstruction, like this Judge Marianne Vicecasil, they must be indicted for obstruction. And when they can be expelled from the House of Representatives, like this human skid mark Marjorie Green, they must be expelled. Still ahead on this edition of Countdown, remember Nancy Mace? 
the reasonable Republican congresswoman who said the draconian stance on abortion was going to kill the party. She's just accused, with no evidence at all, President Biden of involvement in a prostitution ring. Republicans are all power-mad monsters, and we have to rid this country of them. Baseball sees only its third in-game ejection ever of a pitcher who allegedly had too much sticky substance on his hands. This time it's the star Max Scherzer, but this is not a Max Scherzer problem. This is an umpire problem. Three years, only three ejections, but all three ejections have been by the same umpire. And 39 years ago today, I was packing the last of my belongings for the first great adventure of my television career. I was moving to Boston to become the new rival of the top TV sportscaster in that town. I had fought for nearly a year to get the chance just to take the job. And the job would last five months. You mean oops, don't you? Just say oops and get out. Oops. Things I promise not to tell coming up. That's next. This is Countdown. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Countdown with Keith Oberman. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, pitcher Max Scherzer of the New York Mets was ejected from a game in Los Angeles in the fourth inning yesterday by the first base umpire, Phil Cousy. Cousy decided Scherzer was using an unauthorized sticky substance on his hands. 
Without getting into the arcane rule or the even more arcane timeline here, Scherzer had already been questioned earlier in the game about sticky stuff, and so during the third inning, he washed his hands clean while a baseball official watched him do so. Scherzer said he knew he would be examined again in the fourth inning, and as he said, I'd have to be an absolute idiot to try to do anything when I'm coming back out in the fourth. He said the substance the umpire saw was rosin mixed with sweat, and both are legal. And umpire Phil Cozy ejected him anyway. The reason this matters is that baseball has had this rule about sticky substances for almost exactly three years now. And only three times has a pitcher ever been ejected from a game for violating this rule. But each time it happened, the umpire was this same guy, Phil Cousy. And once again, the big problem facing baseball is what is known colloquially in the game as, quote, ump show. Every few years, the umpires decide for some reason they are not being noticed enough or paid enough or thanked enough, and suddenly they make themselves the story in every other game. 25 years ago, this thing peaked for the first time. Ejections of players and managers and coaches was at an all-time high. Umpires were chasing after players and managers who were walking off the field, seemingly trying to bait them into arguments and ejections. It was when the term ump show was born. And even they got around to threatening the announcers. That October, before the sixth and final game of the American League Championship Series, I was part of the telecast of the game on NBC. I was based in the camera well adjoining the visitor's dugout on the third base side at Yankee Stadium in New York. We had a very brief pregame show, and I did about a one-minute report on the various Cleveland injuries, and the third base cameraman then handed me the tiny monitor that had been stuck atop his camera lens, and he said, here you go, enjoy. It was black and white. The screen measured about two inches wide by about an inch and a half high. It existed solely to tell somebody the answer to one question, whether or not they were actually on TV. Anything smaller than me basically was impossible to see on this inch and a half by two inch monitor until and unless you held it up to your eye and then squinted. As I climbed into my little crawl space back next to the Cleveland dugout, the third base umpire for the game, John Shulock, trotted over. Hey, he barked. I don't want to see any players looking at that. I literally did not know what he meant. I thought at first that Shulock did not like my tie. At what? He barked again. You know goddamn well what. I don't want players looking at replays on that television of yours and then telling me I blew the call. I, I laughed. I said, John, please look at it. You can barely tell if the thing is on or off. He looked. He was unmoved. I don't want to see players looking at it. Understood? I had been covering Cleveland on NBC game telecasts for two years throughout the 1997 World Series, throughout the 1998 playoffs. You get to know the players that way. Bottom of the third inning, there's a close play as Bernie Williams of the Yankees slides into second base, and he's called safe by the umpire Ted Hendry, and some of the Cleveland players thought he was out. And during that inning, a couple of them on the bench came over to my perch slowly, not urgently, not angrily. They didn't run was the replay clear? Could you tell? I said it, it didn't seem decisive. I mean, I really couldn't see it, but since on my screen Bernie Williams was about three quarters of an inch tall, I actually thought the umpires were right. And one of the Cleveland players laughed. When the Cleveland pitcher finally got the Yankees out that inning, what do I see but that third base umpire John Shulock running at me full speed? I told you, expletive deleted, not to show them the expletive deleted replays. And if you expletive deleted, do it again. I'll throw you and your expletive deleted camera out of this expletive deleted ballpark. I noticed at this point some of the Cleveland players on the bench staring at both of us. I was not in a good mood that day, so I shouted back at the umpire. The hell you expletive deleted are. Two guys asked me what I saw. I said I thought Hendry got the expletive deleted call right. So go ahead. Throw me the expletive deleted out of here when NBC is paying millions of expletive deleted dollars for me to expletive deleted be here. See how expletive deleted long you expletive deleted last in this expletive deleted league after expletive deleted that. He left. To his credit, after the next inning, John Shulock came back over from third base and apologized. 
The league's really been getting on us. I'm sorry. I said I was sorry. I said again, nobody can see anything on this TV. I know, he said. And he left again. Well, by now, I was the hero of the Cleveland bench. One of the pitchers, Steve Carsey, and one of the infielders, Joey Cora, came over and said, welcome to the club. And they told me this amazing story of a day that summer in the old ballpark in Milwaukee. One of their coaches, Johnny Gorrell, was trying to read an out-of-town score on the scoreboard, and from where he stood in the third-base dugout at County Stadium in Milwaukee, wouldn't you know it, his view of that exact spot on the scoreboard where that exact score was, was blocked by where the second-base umpire was standing. So Goral just moved down towards the far end of the dugout, and at the same time, unknowingly, the ump moved to his right, and so the ump managed to remain blocking that part of the scoreboard that Johnny Goral needed to see. So Johnny Goral moved back towards the near end of the dugout. Sure enough, the umpire moved again. And so when Goral moved a third time, the second base umpire suddenly called time and dejected Johnny Goral from the game. Goral and his manager, Mike Hargrove, ran onto the field to try to understand what had happened, and they were told that Johnny Goral had been mocking and distracting the second base umpire by moving around too much in the dugout. And just as the guys were getting to this part of the story, who joins them at my end of the dugout but manager Mike Hargrove himself, and he says, you guys telling Keith the Goral story? The epidemic of ump show in 1998, which we may be on the verge of repeating, was so bad that when Cleveland lost that day and did not go to the World Series and instead saw their season end, I went into the clubhouse to say goodbye to a couple of the players who I'd come to know pretty well. And sure enough, the big catcher, Sandy Alomar Jr., sees me and he runs over. And mind you, they've just lost. Their season is over. He grabs both my arms and sincerely asks, you all right, man? And he's serious. I hear you just joined the club. Welcome to Ump Show. Baseball has another developing time of Ump Show because that ejection yesterday was not a sticky substance problem, and it was not a Max Scherzer problem. It's a Phil Cousy problem. Still ahead on Countdown, the definition of that old phrase, the anticipation is greater than the event. I waited nearly a month for the first big-time job of my career, local TV sportscaster in Boston. 39 years ago this month, I finally got to move there. It was a month of waiting on top of a year of waiting, and the job lasted all the way to 39 years ago this October. Things I promise not to tell coming up. First time for the Daily Roundup of the Miscreants, Morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. Ask not what worst persons in the world can do for you, because the bronze goes to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yesterday he announced his Boy Is He Gonna Be Surprised campaign to supplant Joe Biden as the Democratic presidential nominee next year. His announcement was basically an experiment to see how many times He could mention his father and his uncle and his other uncle, the Ask Not President, over the course of a two-hour speech. Again and again and again and again. Except for the part where he said, President Trump gets blamed for a lot of things he didn't do, unquote. Which is certain to get him all kinds of support in Democratic primaries. Oh, God, Bob, just go home, please, from a former friend, just go home. Runner-up, Nancy Mace, congresswoman from North Carolina, and until this week, supposedly serious person. Ah, but this week was when she posted a video in which she's recording herself as she walks on a Washington street, watch out for potholes, saying she's just been looking at suspicious activity reports at the Treasury Department about the Biden family, and one of them ties the president to shell companies, prostitution rings, etc. No evidence. Just what she says she saw in a report at the Treasury Department. That would be called slander. You know, Ms. Mace proudly notes that she is a former waitress at a Waffle House, which is a career she can resume if the president sues her. Kiss my grits. But the winners, right-wing trolls Matt Walshblog and Andy No, 
Not a good week for Mr. Walsh blog. Mr. Walsh blog's Twitter account was hacked. And then at a speech at the University of Iowa last night, he claimed his YouTube channel had been demonetized because he insisted on misgendering Dylan Mulvaney. So he's losing about a million dollars a year so he can get people to mindlessly hate for no real reason. Damn shame, boy. Maybe you can go into something more morally defensible like becoming a hitman. Nah, but it gets worse for Mr. Matt Walsh blog. The other guy, Andy No, reported, in fact, posted a video of this, of a terrifying, vicious, near-fatal attack on Walsh blog and his supporters before his speech last night. To quote No's tweet, Antifa and far-left extremists tried causing attendees to fall down the stairs by dumping marbles all over the ground. What? No. 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 No! Marbles! My God, you vicious fiend Antifas! Marbles are all gonna die! Antifa's now armed with marbles! What about the children? Won't somebody think about the children who play marbles? Andy No and Matt Walsh blog. May I have 10,000 marbles, please? Today's worst marbles in the world of marbles! BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At Boston Red Sox Spring Training in 1983, a fellow named Bob Clark introduced himself as the sports producer at this Boston station and said they were all fans of my CNN work and that there would be a job opening that summer as sports anchor. And could he go to his bosses and say I was interested? And I said, sure. And in fact, if he wanted me to go with him to tell his bosses that or if he needed me to carry him to go tell his bosses that, I was ready. Things advanced so quickly that by Monday, July 18th, 1983, I found myself flying up from New York with my agent, and as Boston appeared out the window of the plane, she said, you will own this town. Not so much. Maybe later. 
I went out to the station's headquarters in a barren suburb called Needham and interviewed with everybody. Sports producers, the news director, finally the general manager. Everybody beamed at me. And all was going great. Having laughed at several of my jokes and told me he loved my tape, the general manager, a man named Coppersmith, was about to usher me out of his office with a big hand on my shoulder when I made a terrible, terrible mistake. I told him we had met before when I was a TV intern and he was the general manager of his parent company station in New York. I remember him looking at me quizzically and only later did I find out that all of his people had lied to him without telling me and they had told him I was 28 years old. They did not tell me that since I was 24 years old. Coppersmith's last year at Channel 5 in New York had been 1978, and even giving me the benefit of the age doubt, he decided I was no longer anything older than 26, and ultimately he thought that was too young to be a sports anchor in a major television market, back when those used to be important jobs that paid important money. Their sportscaster, since the station had gone on the air in the 1950s, had been an avuncular, pleasant, gifted man named Don Gillis, but he was cutting back, or they had decided to cut him back to special feature duty. The next day, back in New York City, I went out to find out if the Boston newspapers had found anything out about my surreptitious trip there. I went to a place so wonderful and now so impossible to explain to anybody. The out-of-town newspaper and magazine shop in the lobby of the Pan Am building adjacent to the Grand Central train station. This was one of the smaller of the out-of-town newsstands in New York. It carried about 200 different American newspapers, dozens more from around the world, and every imaginable international magazine was always packed its entire glory has been wiped out by the internet. Anyway, I bought the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald from the same day, and there it was on page 32 of the Globe, a headline over a feature by the TV sports columnist Jack Craig. Gillis departing soon? On horizon, Olbermann's credentials good. Young Keith Olbermann of Cable News Network, CNN, reportedly was very favorably interviewed at Channel 5 yesterday, possibly signaling the end of the Don Gillis era more quickly than anticipated. I was young then. But look, credentials good, it said in a headline. This was it. The start of my TV career for real. No more having to explain to doubting athletes, doubting colleagues, doubting relatives, doubting team executives, that there really was a TV place called Cable News Network, parenthesis, CNN. Big money and big fame in one of the best sports cities in the nation. As even the Globe's article noted, there is a hitch. Alderman's contract with CNN does not expire until next May, and whether he would be let out for Channel 5 is uncertain. Well, sure it was. But CNN would be nice guys about it, right? This was real TV, not some perpetual verge of bankruptcy cable thing. It was really just a big delusion by Ted Turner, and they needed eight cameras in New York, but they could only afford seven. So after being used in the field for 10 hours, one cameraman would have to lash his camera to a tripod for the wide shot shot for the nightly Sandy Freeman audio talk show. Even after the inevitable occurred one night and the overworked camera burst into flames on live TV, CNN would understand. <laughs> by the way, Sandy Freeman was replaced about a year later by Larry King. That's how long ago this actually was. Anyway, CNN's less than happy reaction to this was academic. I had unwittingly blown it when I revealed to that guy Coppersmith that I was not 28 years old. Sure enough, on August 15th, WCBB Channel 5 Boston announced the hiring of a Miami sportscaster named Lee Webb to succeed Don Gillis. Webb was a lot of things, and he wasn't a lot of other things, but hot damn, he was 30 years old, and that made him the man in the eyes of the general manager, Mr. Coppersmith. On the other hand, Coppersmith thought his station should still hire me as a reporter. The news director, a man who went by the imposing name of Philip Scribner Balboni, offered me a spot as a feature news reporter. A producer and I would look for offbeat, unusual, unique stories and go cover them. It was not the sports anchor's job, but it wasn't CNN either. WCBB would also wait until CNN finally accepted that it was over between the two of us, whenever that was. Then three more things happened in quick succession. 
Channel 5 hired a new sports director, a producer who would run the department and set its editorial tone. His name was Mike Fernandes. And even after working with him for six months, the only thing I knew about him was that he had no sense of humor. He understood that I was making jokes, but he never got one of them. And his principal interest in sports was apparently determining which players were Don Juans. So he could refer to them endlessly in the office as, quote, swordsmen. The second thing that happened was that the sports reporter at Channel 5, Bob Ryan, already very famous at the Boston Globe, later even more so nationally at ESPN, told management he just could not do both the TV and newspaper jobs anymore and he needed to quit. Mind you, this was how important sports was on local TV in Boston in 1983. They had an on-air sportscaster, a weekend sportscaster, a sportscaster emeritus, and an on-air sports reporter, plus all the producers and the off-air sports director. Often the sportscast in the hour-long 6 o'clock news, and there was only the one hour of news, the sportscast lasted 10 minutes. So now, having already offered me the feature news reporting job, news director Philip Scribner Balboni offered me my choice of that job or Bob Ryan's sports reporting job. And while I was debating that, I managed to resist all efforts to turn me into a newsman for 15 years. While I was debating that, another Boston station suddenly jumped into the fray. Channel 7 was a perennial also-ran compared to Channel 5, whose newscasts were among the best, if not the best, in the country. Without as much as asking me to even come visit, Channel 7 offered me the job as its sports director, anchored the sports at 6 and 11, run the department, and get much more money than Channel 5 had offered me. And I turned it down! Out of loyalty to Channel 5 because they asked first. I turned it down! Moron! Channel 5 was out in the, as I said, barren suburbs. Channel 7 was in downtown Boston. I would be making like 100000 a year at age 25 with no responsibilities living and working in downtown Boston in 1984. Moron! So anyway, I get to Boston at the end of April 1984 at Channel 5. And on my first day out in the barren suburbs, I walk up a circular staircase to the sports department office and I hit my head on the staircase and bled so much they all thought I was going to need stitches. And I went back to the half a house I had moved to, one of exactly two rental properties in the entire town of Needham, Massachusetts, and I thought, what in the hell have I done? No, things improved. I was not just in the field. I did a lot of substitute anchoring, especially on weekends. And the first time I did that, Susan Warnick, one of our reporters and the wife of the big sportscaster in town, Bob Lobel from Channel 4. Susan came up to me in the office on Monday and gave me a big, wet kiss on the lips and said, you were terrific. Lobel is scared crapless. I love you. The first time I did a live shot before a Celtics game at Boston Garden, I wandered around the arena without being recognized once. Two weeks later, I went back to the garden, and I went to get a hot dog, and turned to find a crowd of several dozen viewers all shouting at me in the singular language of the Boston sports fan. On Monday, June 11, 1984, Balboni, the news director, called me in and said he wanted me to start anchoring every night on the 11 o'clock news. Lee Webb would continue on the 6, but the intimation was... If it went the way he thought it was going to, I would get that show, too. But the problem was, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but occasionally I like to make jokes. Okay, I need to make jokes. And several of the executives at the station were real fans of the Red Sox and Celtics and Patriots and Bruins, and they did not like the jokes. Even if the viewers liked the jokes, they didn't. One day, I was supposed to go with a cameraman to shoot a piece in which I pretended to interview the Green Monster, the famed left field wall at Fenway Park. The punchline was, it would turn out the Green Monster didn't like baseball. Not a bad idea for 1984. Just as we're leaving the station, the sports director, Fernandes, said, change of plans, need you to go to Smithfield. That was where the football team held its training camp. Patriots just put their backup middle linebacker on waivers. Go get some sound. He didn't need any sound. The executives who didn't like my jokes had gotten the executive who didn't get my jokes to stop giving me the chance to do my jokes. It was an hour and a half to Smithfield. I was done for the day. 
I went home for a little trip to New York in early September, met with my agent, told her that after all the time and all the energy we had spent to get that job, this was the most impossible to imagine outcome, but it was the wrong station in the wrong suburb in the right town, and I didn't know how we could ever fix it. She agreed. She said I should go in and tell the news director I wanted to quit and that I'd stay as long as he needed me, but that if they weren't going to let me do the jokes, what was the point? I was an okay reporter, I was an okay sportscaster, but only with the jokes was I me. So, September 10th, 1984, a Monday, the news director was not happy. He offered, in fact, to fire Lee Webb on the spot and give me the 6 o'clock show immediately. Like that night, like lead Lee Webb out of the building that minute. But I told him that would mean he would be keeping somebody who wanted to leave and firing somebody who wanted to stay. He angrily agreed, and I became a secret lame duck, and I stayed on, getting fewer and fewer chances to be me, although they stuck to their end of it. They sent me to cover the World Series in San Diego and Detroit, where the guy next to me in the press box covering it for Channel 7, the place I should have gone to work, was their new sports reporter, a just-retired Red Sox Hall of Fame player named Carl Yastrzemski. I hit a ball over here, I hit a ball over there, I hit three balls over that roof. Then when I got back from the World Series, it happened. On Friday, October 19, 1984, that TV sports columnist from the Boston Globe, Jack Craig, called me up at home and told me Channel 5 was firing me because of bad ratings at 11 o'clock. I didn't have bad ratings at 11 o'clock. In fact, I had great ratings. And six weeks earlier, they'd offered me the 6 o'clock show as well. I hung up with Craig to call my agent, and instead of a dial tone, I heard the voice of the TV sports columnist from the Boston Herald, Jim Baker. I had answered his call before it rang. He told me Channel 5 was firing me and Lee Webb, so it could instead hire Ken the Hawk Harrelson, the former Red Sox star and TV announcer who had moved to Chicago. So now I call my agent, and she says, your deal with Channel 5 is off. They want to make it look like you stink. They want to make it look like they just fired you. You call Jim Baker and Jack Craig right now and tell them the whole story. Wherever you go next, it has to be clear that you weren't fired. You quit, and you stayed on because you're a pro. Which, you know, was true. So I called. I told both writers everything. And two minutes after I got off the phone with Jack Craig from The Globe, the phone rang, and it was Jim Baker from The Herald calling back, and he says, you'll never believe this. Their negotiations with Hawk Harrelson are dead. Apparently, he wanted $400,000 a year and a guarantee that he only had to come in five minutes before each show to get makeup and then read the script that somebody else wrote. So you are now our lead story. Sure enough, back page of the Boston Herald, Saturday, October 20, 1984, above the masthead, Olbermann quits Channel 5. At the same hour, I was supposed to go to Morgantown, West Virginia, the place that was designed simply to make that lovely town of Needham, Massachusetts look like, I don't know, the Riviera. I was supposed to go to Morgantown to cover Doug Flutie and Boston College against the University of West Virginia. Since I lived between the television station and the airport, the cameraman was going to swing by my house to pick me up. Do it like 7 a.m. He never showed. By this point, I'm thinking, I just had to call my lying bosses liars in both Boston newspapers that are on every newsstand in the city and the surrounding area. Why am I going to race the clock to get to the airport on my own when this idiot cameraman forgot to come get me? When we had made the arrangements the day before, the cameraman had gotten my name wrong and called me Dick. At least that's why I thought he'd called me Dick. Anyway, uh, I was 25. I went back to bed. And while I was asleep, Channel 5 fired me from a job that I had not only quit, but I had quit twice, including on the front page of the newspapers that morning. The Channel 5 people were furious. I put up a brave front, but beneath the surface, I was a little scared until two more things happened. Before I could move back to New York, the news director, Phil Balboni, told Craig of the Globe that it was all too bad because, quote, Keith was potentially such a major talent. Ooh. And then the general manager, Coppersmith, was so angry that he told my agent he will never again work in this business. I am not a big believer in motivational quotes, but those two... Those really worked. Number one and two on my all-time list. And as always, 
Beyond that, there's a punchline. In 2007, an email popped into my inbox at MSNBC. It was glowing and warm and lovely, and it indicated the writer was a huge fan. It was signed, your old Channel 5 news director, Phil Balboni. His email did not mention that I was potentially such a major talent. done all the damage i can do here thank you for listening here are the credits most of the music arranged produced and performed by brian ray and john philip chanel they are the countdown musical directors all the orchestration and keyboards by john philip chanel guitars bass drums by brian ray produced by tko brothers other beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by no horns allowed the sports music is the Olderman theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever, and our announcer today was my friend Larry David, and everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's countdown for this, the 835th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Don't forget to keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.